We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers were seconds away from making it into play-in territory for the first time this season. But Luka Doncic had other plans. The game started with a rough first quarter for Lakers. Dallas jumped all over the Lakers, led by 14 after the first. But Lakers battled back, played really good defense in particular over the last three quarters. And despite a pretty rough shooting night from LeBron James, made it all the way back. And then up three with a few seconds left. And we'll get into, I think, the specifics of this play later because I think it has a subtopic to it that I can't believe we've never discussed before. But Luca hits a step back three. Similar situation happens in overtime. Luca sends it into double OT. And then the Dallas eventually outlasts the Lakers. So there have been a lot of these this year, D. A lot of these heartbreakers, uh, last minute not able to close it out overtime losses in wild competitive games, but it was a great game. It was a game, you know, very physical. A friend of mine texted me. was like, this is a 90s playoff game we're watching. I was like, yeah. And there was a lot to like about it, but Lakers came up short. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, man. That was a tough one. I'm tired of these, honestly. Yeah. The Lakers are in no position to get like moral victories at this point. They, they need these wins in the standings. Mm-hmm. I think they need the wins for morale. I think wins like this are particularly hard on the team from an emotional standpoint and from a frustration standpoint. And I think frustrations could easily transform into other emotions that make it difficult to rally around the flag because they know they're shorthanded and winning amplifies that feeling of we have enough and losing Mike in the manner that they lose in these games, particularly when they're shorthanded. I don't want to say that this is what's happening, but I know what can happen is a certain amount of resentment around this idea of like, we're out here battling as hard as we can to win. And if we only had X, we would be better and we would have won this game. And that's a dangerous place 
to get to mentally. And I'm not saying the Lakers are there. I'm not even saying that they're getting there. I'm just saying that that is a natural offshoot to me of losses like this. And so I'm tired of these as a fan. I feel for the players and I feel for the team and I feel for the head coach. Darvin took some blame, Mike, after this one for the management of the last play. Pete, I don't know if we want to get into this aspect of the conversation now. Honestly, it was something that we've probably covered more than 500 games together doing this pod. And I don't know your philosophy, and I want to hear Mike's too, on like fouling up three in the last possession. I I just can't believe it's never come up. So please, I want to hear Mike's overall thoughts first, but I'd love to circle back to that point. Man, I think the... The game in general. So I was I was jumping around a little bit last night uh, because uh, our our boy Michael Thompson was in the Bahamas um, and for uh, just for one game. So he'll be back, I think, for the next one. And so it's a little bit I have to kind of switch a different part of my brain on, you know, to where I'm a little bit more locked in on the game itself and just trying to analyze what what happens in it. And I'm doing a little bit less of the kind of overall monitoring and checking some stats and, and trying piecing things together and, you know, getting thoughts. And, and so I, for that game, it was just so obvious to me early that the Lakers were rusty and it was, it was weird because it was like the typical game when you've been gone for a while, but they had only been gone for the weekend, but it felt like a while because of the buildup of all the previous long trips, a, right. and the fact that it was a back-to-back and the fact that there was an extra off day in between so that almost added to and it's it's just something that happens like this is not a critique. This is just something I'm like, they're not only are they a little bit rusty and not sharp, but it's another new lineup. And LeBron um, has not played since Saturday night, you know, and all of those things came together. But what I felt like was the good thing for the Lakers was that that was it was the first quarter. And therefore, even though Dallas got up damn near 20 points. You could tell like they were going to start playing better. They were going to start figuring it out. The crowd was getting into the game. And so a run was coming and they they sort of at a certain point of the game, they just found the identity that they have been playing with um, not as well as they were playing like throughout that five game winning streak. But I just felt like that that general level of competition um, and the way that they were starting to get a couple of stops and to run. And all of that stuff was starting to, to coalesce to the point where, you know, they rolled that all the way to a late lead. And so the game itself to me was fine. Like I thought that they more or less competed and they, they kind of found some of their mojo, but now this is where I kind of turn to you guys to an extent because crunch time, I was not able to be as locked in because I was up at the top of the, this is going to sound dumb for anybody that hasn't actually been to the arena, but the radio broadcast and the TV broadcast where Bill and Stu and Michael and John are is where chick used to like to be up at the top of the lower bowl. Bird's eye view, bird's eye view, yes. Chick like the bird's eye view. And and so when I'm doing the game, when I'm I'm typically down on the the sideline, I'm right pretty close adjacent to the bench on the opposite side of the court, but close. Like I can can get to the bench in a, you know, 20 second walk. And and so I'm like, I'm watching, but then I have to go down for the potential walk-off interview for TV. So I'm basically just much less locked in on actually getting a good angle because I'm sometimes I'm walking in the middle of a play and and this is but my general sense of it was that it was the same as it's been all year, which has been bad. And I've got the clutch, yes. the clutch time stats for the Lakers up. But I this is where I want to kick it to you guys, not just for the play where whether they should have filed or, or blitzed, which is which is kind of what I asked Darvin about, 
But mm-hmm. essentially, what happened in that specific game, Pete, that was endemic to what's been happening in crunch time for all of these games the Lakers seem to be losing? To me, it's the jump shooting. And I I have always been with you on the we talk too much about jump shooting topic that said you do need to be able to hit jump shots like the way Dallas defended us their perimeter players to a great extent it was almost they're zoned up and they're standing right on the elbows and so one thing that a defense can do is make you take jump shots right like it's something that they can force you it'll be open but you they can make you take jumpers and so I'd say about six weeks ago or so on the pod after one of those games where a team put I can't remember the game specifically but one of those games where a team put their slow-footed center on Russ and he couldn't make a jump shot and I'm scrolling through the play-by-play of every game of the year looking at wondering what is Russell Westbrook shooting on his jump shots in crunch time and I think it was like 18% or something like that at the time it was like 3 for 16 something like that right now it's 29% 9 for 30 in crunch time stats yeah on yeah. jumpers it, okay yeah. and then lebron is 20 for 48 41 percent. but lebron from three three for 17 yes. and russ three for eight so i'm talking specifically about jump shots when lebron's been good down the stretch this year it's been mostly like i'm able to get to the basket and there's nothing you can do about it in going through the play-by-play of each game on my phone at you know one in the morning I had the same thought as I did with Russ about six weeks ago what is LeBron shooting on jump shots in the last five minutes of a close game I have him at seven for 31 overall which is 23 percent on just his jumpers and then four for 26 15 percent on his threes during during those types of situations in those close games and so like that to me, D, it, it, like the make or miss league, it's the difference that the result of that game is the difference between Luca hitting some daggers and LeBron not being able to hit a jumper. He's now shooting 28.5% from three on the year. So this isn't just a uh, a crunch time thing, but that's the thing that really stands out to me on our downstretch offense. Yesterday's pod was about our closing lineups and some of the issues that can be presented there. But LeBron not being able to shoot jumpers during that time, too, has a uh, has it it adds to the existing issues. Yes. Jason Kidd, former Lakers assistant coach, who I'm sure Mike was an important part of the defensive game plan against the Houston Rockets in the 2019-20 playoffs, who's starting backcourt consisted of James Harden and one Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook came into the game last night. And so this is a this is a pivot off of the crunch time discussion for a second. But Russell Westbrook came into the game and Jason Kidd instantly deployed Dwight Powell on him. So Powell mm-hmm. was guarding Russ from the very instant that Russ came into the game. So this was not a late game adjustment where suddenly, like early in the season, where suddenly Ivica Zubats is on Russ, where Zubats had been guarding Anthony Davis for the rest mm-hmm. of the game. Or Yusuf Nurkic is on Russell Westbrook when he had been guarding Anthony Davis the rest of the game. Nope. They put their setter on Russell Westbrook to start the game. And this is what the Lakers did against the Houston Rockets. Back in the 2019-20 playoffs, they put Anthony Davis on Russell Westbrook. And then Jason Kidd did what teams have done to the Lakers in the playoffs in the past is he played the defensive style that Pete described, which is basically like a shell drill. It's like high school defense. It's so strange to see it in the NBA, man. Well, it's yes. And when the Lakers go 10 for 41 on threes and LeBron 
can't make a three at all. And LeBron is playing. LeBron led the Lakers in minutes. I, I think he played 48 or 49 minutes. He did not play the previous game. LeBron did not have a good basketball game against the Mavericks. And that was not just a crunch time problem. It was an all game problem. He got blocked several times at the rim. Um, mm-hmm. He did not have his typical lift. He did not have his typical burst in transition. And the rustiness that Mike described to start the game, that permeated throughout the entire contest for LeBron. He never shook it. And he's he's LeBron James. He's great. And so when you look at his last stat line, it's just like, oh, my God, LeBron, 24 points, 16 rebounds, nine assists. But he needed 28 shots to score those 24 points. He did not get a friendly whistle. We could talk about the refereeing or not talk about the refereeing. The Lakers were talking about the refereeing after the game. I know Mike asked some questions about the refereeing because it was on everyone's mind. But the crunch time problems are they they will come down to can the Lakers make a jump shot? Yes. Like, can you make one when you're open? <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, that's the thing, Mike, because and this is where I'll kick it to you, because Russ made a very important three pointer. And when Gabriel hit a very important three pointer like LeBron drove and when everyone is playing at the elbows and at the lane line, like they're going to rebound a free throw. And this is their <laughs> seriously. And this is yeah, their yeah. this is their half court defense. That's what it looked like to me. And LeBron is at the elbow and he was just like, OK, well, I'm just driving. Oh, look, there's a guy right in front of me and I'm at the elbow and there's two guys right here. I'm kicking it to Wenyon. I think it was LeBron who passed to Wenyon, but it might have been Russ. Either way, the ball got kicked to Wenyon and he's like, well, I'm wide open. I'm shooting this this. Well, this three, they needed they needed that from those guys. And, and so it's like the jump shooting is, is it just needs to it needed to be better last night. It's been better than what it was last night. But last night mm-hmm. was the was the bad part of things. And yeah. it's only amplified by the fact of like the players that were missing. Like throughout that game, Mike, I thought like, oh, it would have been nice to have Austin Reeves this game or Man. it would have been nice to have Lonnie Walker. Those guys can hit a jump shot. Well, right. But but anyways, please. Yeah. So it's funny because in all of my discussions about shooting and how I think it can be overrated in the way that we talk about it, I've almost never put LeBron into that mix because like LeBron, there are certain players that even though that's not that's never been his best skill, right? His his perimeter shooting mm-hmm. has never been the part of his game. And he's still, you know, the the a top two player of all time. Uh, and and like, if you look at the top 10 to 15 players of all time, there are very few of those guys where shooting is their best skill. Mm-hmm. Steph, mm-hmm. if we're going to put him in that one. Um, I mean, so Larry Bird, you know, like Larry Bird was an incredible shooter, but I don't know if it was his best skill. I'm trying like KD, you know, maybe. Right. That, yeah, there are maybe. a few guys that are up there, but it's not the most prominent skill like uh, amongst those guys. Yeah, for sure. And those guys that we're mentioning are like Steph's sort of an exception, but, you know, Bird and Durant were pretty much good at everything else, too. Right. Like mm-hmm. great rebounders, great passers, Bird not as good of a defender, but smart. So anyway, th- th- that's that's part of it. But like for LeBron, you know, he didn't shoot the ball well in clutch situations when they won the title. And and in fact, I just looked this up now because it sort of surprised me. But even during the postseason, like LeBron was three for 16 uh, in crunch time, 18.8 percent and 0 for 5 from three. 
but mm. Anthony Davis was six for eight and two for three. And like KCP was one for nine from three in those situations. Like, and they won the title that year. And, that, and that's just talking about mm. the bubble. Okay. Where mm-hmm. everybody talks about how the Lakers shot the lights out. So my, like, it's hard for any team to hit jump shots sure. in crunch time, first of all, but like where to, to, to try to pull that back to this season and what LeBron's struggles have been in those situations. And especially from three and part of the, the issue for me with the threes, and he's taken 17 of them. Russ has taken eight Schroeder is now over seven, by the way, from three in crunch time and four for 14 mm. overall. It's just that they like the guy that used to be able to at least unlock some of those was still LeBron or he could just get to the rim if it wasn't working. And the same thing, Kobe used to do the same thing. Kobe, I always felt like was an underrated finisher because we always talk about his jump shooting. But when Kobe wanted to get to the bucket, oh yeah, A, he was strong enough to take the contact and he could finish in whatever way he needed to. Um, left hand, right hand, like short floater, long floater, finger roll, dunk, reverse. He had all of that stuff. And so does LeBron. And it's just that I think at in year 20, it's a little bit harder for him to get to the paint even though he still does it at a great rate, like this is what's so it's like a complicated conversation, but teams are just continuing to overplay. And it, to me, that's where it's more LeBron and Russ together being in a lot of those sure. crunch time situations. And whereas in the, in the bubble type group, you could have, you know, you might have a non shooter at the way the team covered them in Caruso, but he was, he was having getting so few of those out and he was so smart about what he was doing off the ball or like he'd set a screen on the weak side of the floor to get to free somebody. That's the type of stuff that I don't know if I see Russ doing as much. And, to, and so that's where it's like the build of it. If teams are going to totally crank in on the paint on one guy, which would be LeBron, but then Russ is out there too. It just seems like there's so much less space that the jump shots that you're getting are harder than where you would get like the drive and kick to a shooter type. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I think on yesterday's pod we talked to, you know, and that's one of the reasons I've landed on the idea that we need a really good jump shooter, professional jump shooter to help alleviate that that great deal of congestion in the paint. That said, if we're just talking about yesterday's game, I thought Russ was really good, including his jumper. He hit, what, three, he hit three threes in the game, uh, he hit a couple of uh, mid-range shots as well, and so I, he was really productive. I thought he was our best defender on Luka, um, and so... So I agree globally speaking, but the bronze also got to hit jump shots, you know, and yeah, that's, that's true for yesterday. I'm just, I'm trying to like yesterday's game. You're right. And you're right about Russ, but this has happened nine times. This yes. Year. Yeah, totally. And, and, it's, and, and that's what I'm trying to get to. It's moving forward. Teams are still going to play the same way. And most of the time, I think teams would be pretty happy with Russ taking those shots. Yes. Which is why ideally we can get that to flow into somebody they wouldn't be happy with taking those shots because the reality is they're also pretty happy with Dennis Schroeder taking those shots and Troy Brown taking those shots and whomever is getting those shots, right? Like they're crowding the paint to a degree that makes a closeout all the way to a a three-point shooter, a really good one, impossible. And so whoever that ball ends up with, we just don't have a lot of guys that that is the main reason why they're in the NBA is their their jump shooting. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into the fouling up three question. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. See, I can't believe we've never talked about this, D, but Lakers are up by three points. With six seconds left, Dallas does not have a timeout because in a brutally officialed game, in a, in a brutally refer- refereed game, the ref somehow missed that it was Dennis, or that it was Russell Westbrook that got fouled and sent Dennis Schroeder to the free throw line. And so Dallas had to challenge that. And it was unsuccessful, even though they ended up sending Russ to the line when they were initially going to send Dennis to the line. So Dallas did not have any timeouts left, which is a big uh, swing point for me on this discussion. So no timeouts left, six seconds left. Luca's inbounding the ball to Spencer Dinwiddie. Luca's being guarded by Russ, Dinwiddie guarded by Dennis. Luca gets the switch on to Dennis, which Mike referred to in the post game with Darwin, where he was like, yeah, we should have blitzed that one. That's on me. Um, Luca hits him with the step back, knocks knocks down the three. Where do you stand on that whole topic of fouling up three? How what do you believe in terms of the management of that type of situation? So this is where it gets tricky because you described it as six seconds. Six seconds is how much time was on the clock after Luca hit the shot. There was actually eleven point eight seconds oh, at the inbound. Me. Thank you, thank you for clar- right? clarifying that. Yeah. So that's a lot of time, and so this is where other parts of game strategy are also important. So. The Lakers aren't the, <laughs> one of the ills of last night's game, especially, was the fact that the Lakers did not hit their free throws. Russ hit two important ones right before that. But overall, the Lakers shot 50 something percent from the free throw line or 60 percent. But they were in the 50s for a long time. And Dallas didn't shoot free throws particularly well either mm-hmm. this past game. So I could understand in this instance with 11 seconds left on the shot clock, or with 11 seconds left on the game clock, for example, that 
you don't necessarily want to get into a free throw shooting contest at, with that much time left on the clock because the odds of you potentially needing to make four free throws in order to win this game, it, it, that, that's up there. Right. Like I'm saying, like, you may go to the line two more times, Mike, and have to hit all four of those in 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 order to win. That said, I thought I am I am up for fouling when you know that when the ball gets inbounded, there's basically no other action that's going to be run. So the fact that that Dallas was able to start to get into their action, I would have wanted to foul around that six second mark, which is when the shot actually went through the basket. And, and so I get Darvin wanting to play it straight and not foul at that mm-hmm. point. So I am a proponent of fouling, but I'm a proponent of fouling when you're getting down in the clock a little bit more, which makes it tricky. Like I think there's a window mm-hmm. to foul. And I thought when the play started, the Lakers were outside of that window. Right. And so that's sort of where my mind is around that. I'm more in line with what Darvin said, which was when that screen comes, I think they need to trap and they need to be ready to rotate out of that trap. Right now, Dallas did a very good job of spacing the floor and they sent Dinwid. They sent their two best shooters to the same side of the floor after after the screen, which isn't a coincidence. Right. It's just like like it's an anticipation of the blitz. Yes. So Dinwiddie comes and sets the screen on Dennis or on Russ. Russ, excuse me. So Russ is guarding Luca. Come and set the screen. And now Dennis gets the switch. And the Lakers, you could tell that was the plan, Mike. Like, and because Dennis was looking at Russ and Russ was already calling out, like, you're that, like, that's you. Mm-hmm. You're staying. But that to me is, that's where. I'm with Darvin in that I thought the game plan was we're switching everything. Whereas I think the game plan needed to be if they come and set that ball screen, you jump him instantly and be ready to rotate out of that like instantly. Right. And the Lakers, I thought, were well positioned to do that with LeBron being the rotating man, because that's who you want rotating right there. You want the biggest, most athletic dude that you have who actually hasn't played 10 additional minutes at that point. LeBron was at 38 minutes at that point of the game. He would have had his legs, I think. And so where are you at, though, with that? Mike? Yeah, my precursor to this is that, as you guys know, a lot of the time that I spend is listening to the coaches talk before and after the game. And over the years, and I don't think there'll ever be a coach that I enjoy as much as Phil Jackson. Uh, and so I was very lucky to get mm-hmm. that for my first several years. And I remember Phil getting asked about this and other things. And But of all of the coaches that have been asked this question, there is not consensus. And what that tells me exactly, yeah, is that there isn't a right answer. And to me, it's, mm-hmm. it's the analogy that I would make would be to going forward on fourth down uh, in football. And there's yeah. been this new wave in, in – if you if you sort of just were a peripheral NFL fan and you think, oh, a lot of these up and coming young coaches, they're just going for it all the time because they're looking at the numbers and the analytics say. Can I just jump in real quick? Uh, I, I watch the 49er games every weekend with my dad and he's that kind of fan, right? Where back in the day, like going for it on fourth down was like, <gasps> and so there have been some games this season where he's like, what the hell are they doing? It's like fourth and four <laughs> yeah. and they're on their own 45 yard line. So that's that's totally spot on. And But here's the thing. Sometimes it's right thing to do sometimes it's not sometimes we just play the results 
And and I hate that's what I can't stand. Oh, yeah. I can't stand playing the results. So I'm not like I think it's important to have a philosophy and a coach might might lean, you know, 60, 40 or 70, 30. For example, if I'm the Golden State Warriors, I'm almost always falling because I have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole. And it's in like back when even the days that they had KD, it, like the free throw shooting that you mm-hmm. that you think you're mm-hmm. going to be able to get um, it, that is going to lead me to foul a little bit more. In the case of the Lakers and this this current personnel, and even the bubble year, I would be a little bit less wanting to put myself in free throw contest, unless, like Pete just pointed out, the other team doesn't have timeouts. And then in that case, if they can't advance the ball, you know, so it it has. This is where it has to be a, a game to game, moment to moment, yes, a little bit feel, a little bit philosophy, and you have to have somebody that's good at doing it. And then you also have to get a little lucky because let's say you oh, yeah. blitz Luca. And then you're probably leaving Tim Hardaway Jr. for a wide yep. open three or Reggie Bullock for a wide open three. And if they hit that, then it's like, oh, shouldn't have blitzed. Why don't you just foul? Yeah, why or you leave a shooter open? <laughs> and they hit yep. both. And then you can't inbound to anybody but Russ. And then he splits the free throws. And then they, like Darius said, then if they have seven seconds or six seconds, well, that is enough time maybe to get up and get a two. So all of that stuff comes into play. And I'm not, I'm never going to get into the point where I'm blaming the coach too much unless Same. it's something like like last night's I did think was more of an obvious you should foul and and I think there are probably a couple of players that thought that they should foul in that situation it's I just wanted to convey the complexity of it and, and not try to pretend like we're all geniuses um, if we play the results thank you for doing that the complexities are also amplified by the fact that it's Luka Doncic so that's what I was going to bring up is like all of that's true in the consensus it's like I don't want to leave my fate in the hands of, I hope Luka Doncic mix, misses this clutch shot over Dennis Schroeder in particular, you know? Yeah, but also, Pete, Luka Doncic's ability to shed defenders, right? And so here's where, like, there was an opportunity to foul Luka right at the point of the screen because everyone is close to him at that <laughs> point, right? But once you start to slide your feet with this dude, anyone who has played defense in their life, once you are committed to like, I'm going to, I'm going to slide with you. So mm-hmm. Dennis needed, like Luca needed to catch the ball and you just need to run up to him and foul him. What, what I think, cause part of the, one of the downsides of blitzing is that Luca's bigger than both of the guys that are blitzing. So like one of the things about on ball traps is you want high hands. That's one of the things yeah. you, tr- you, to force both deflections, but also passes that have a little more arc on them. Neither guy that's blitzing in that situation can bother Luca's pass. And so, yeah, it, basically you're choosing between what we saw happen and giving up that wide open three that Mike was talking about to one of the other shooters. So to me, it's a matter of like, you blitz that, but you go for the steal. Because one thing you also don't want to do is to foul him after his gather and send him to the line shooting three free throws. So like you go for the steal, maybe you get that 5% of the time, 10% of the time, but it's either you get the steal or you foul him before his gather type of thing. That to me is like the best of the options. But I love that also that you guys have brought up just like the degree of the degree of debate that this engenders amongst people that really know their hoops. Yeah. And I just thought that once Luca got into his dribble, it was too late to try to foul. He's too mm, big and he's mm-hmm. too strong and he's too crafty with, crafty, with the yeah. ball. And, and so, True, please, Mike. That's, that's, no, you're, I want you to continue, but that's why what you don't want is Dennis Schroeder to be the guy that is the matchup yep. there to switch out because he's just not 
he's just not tall enough to bother the shot. He can bother Luca's dribble sort of, but even then he's not going to steal the ball. So that's the thing that you have to try to avoid is that getting that particular switch. I, even if it's Russ or LeBron or somebody that can at least sort of contest a little better, mm-hmm. uh, that's all. Yeah, this is where I hate to like, oh, well, out coach or out this or out that. It's just like, I honestly don't care. Like, Darvin had a philosophy in place. He said it when he answered your question. I had confidence in the five guys that were on the floor to get a stop. And he did just that. And Luca hit an incredible shot. Like, mm-hmm. it really was an incredible shot. Like, I know that, like, I know that we can we can break down all of the ways in which the Lakers could have done something different and maybe sure. better. But the fact is, is Luca drove hard to his right hand. He got a defender off of him, a smaller defender, but he got him off of him. Step back a good two or three feet. And Dennis recovered well enough to try to get a hand up. But Luca hit a step back 25 footer. Right. While playing and, every minute of the second half, too. Like his yeah. legs were fried. He, he shanked a couple free throws. Like, well, he hadn't, he hadn't scored in the fourth quarter up to that point. Yeah. And, and he was so tired. Then, he was just kind of letting Hardaway Jr. Yep. or uh, Dinwiddie initiate offense. Yeah. But, so you're, but that's you're, what the great ones do. You're totally right. And LeBron said the same thing. He's like, look, you know, we there were plenty of because that, that's the one of the things where you could have, should have, would have. But the Lakers blew all kinds of chances on the other end. And Luka didn't. And that's why he won. Yes. Yep. So yep. The, the Lakers had two three-point leads. They had a three-point lead at the end of regulation. They had a three-point lead towards the end of the first overtime. Luka hit three-point shots. Both of them stepped back threes from the top of the key. Fairly difficult shots in order to tie the game both times. What is going to go unremarked on, mostly... Because it is about Luca, and he did what what he did. I'm very interested to see what the last two minute report says. Um, I've been going. I never go to that page, but I'm interested in. But I'm interested this time for one reason, not because the Lakers lost, but because that game was a not very well officiated game. Brutal. Pete mentioned it earlier, like, and it was both ways. So yeah, yeah it's LeBron, not it, yes. LeBron drove Mike on a play. He drove left. He stumbled over his own feet and he fell down. Tim Hardaway was guarding him and he drew a foul on that. I think that was in the first overtime. It might have been the second overtime, but it was very late in the game. LeBron was super fatigued. He tried to drive. He fell down and that was a foul. There were lots of reviews where there didn't need need to be reviews there were lots of whistles blown where it's just like wait is this really the call here and the lakers had the ball with six seconds left and troy brown got off a shot he got hand-to-hand contact that much is clear and i'm very interested to see what the last two minute report says because the pool reporter who got to speak with the referee after the game which is what happens i think i don't know if this happens every game but i know it happens in close games that yeah you just have there to is, like request it and then one of the one of the reporters goes over yeah i think it was it was wiki last night yeah and so the referees were fairly confident that they got the call right and i am less confident in that after seeing the replay multiple times but i'm not a league official i don't work in Secaucus. i am not trained by 
whoever the head of fish, head of officiating is for the National Basketball Association. So I'll be interested to see what the last two minute report says. But where does the where does that call fall on the displeasure scale? I, I feel like I have to start pumping this more because you just don't bring it up <laughs> on your own. And I wonder if you have you added new things to the displeasure scale? Did something happen in your most recent travels? You know that bumps up. Like, the, you know, who microwaved fish or on the slower end, like used to rip a guy. Now he's on the team. You know what I'm saying? I, I just haven't checked in on this in a while. Used to rip a guy and now he's on the team. I like that one. Is that your own addition to the displeasure skill? Did, did no, I? No, that was yours. Or, okay. It's even like in Darius language. Yeah, it's used to, so, used to rip dude. Now dude is on my team. Oh. Yes. Number nine. That does sound I like Darius. I remember that one now. <laughs> Number seven is check You know where that one originates. On. Just for new listeners or even old listeners who have not heard about the displeasure scale in a while, I spent an entire summer telling people if the Lakers end up with Carlos Boozer and Byron Scott, Carlos Boozer as a player and Byron Scott coaching this team, there's going to be a lot of expletives. <laughs> like right right after that and i was saying this openly just mocking the basketball gods pete like oh yeah, yeah boozer was like, definitely going to be a laker at some point like and, yeah. please spite me basically yeah. i do I, that sometimes I was too in, yeah it's i fun. was inviting it yeah and they rewarded me with oh yeah the they never let you down thi- no oh man so that's well, where that okay. one comes from <laughs> by the way they let so you guys again remember you are Laker fans okay so I'm just saying relative relativity has to come into play here the basketball gods have been okay to Laker fans that's all. they've been great to us we've had a few of them on the team actually a few of the basketball gods on the actual team exactly I'm just saying that when it's time to show a little bit of spite they will spite you just to put you back in your place and and, and I feel that like look I've been blessed I say it all all of the time so that's where that one comes from thanks for the little reminder Mike. I don't know. It's just like the refereeing, th- there probably is a displeasure scale and, and Pete feels like, feels me with this one. Like obvious call that needs a re that does not need God, to be replayed. And now we're sitting here for Yo. five minutes. Like, how do you feel like you're doing radio, Mike? How do you fill the time? Cause I was listening to, uh, <laughs> to the spectrum broadcast and they're sitting there just like, like, Oh, let's bring up some random Luca fact right now. It's just like, they got nothing because you're sitting there for five minutes. Well, I so first things first, I spent the first minute just railing about the fact that they were doing it, uh, which which I don't <laughs> get to for do you, on Mike. TV. Thank you. So, yes. yeah, and I said, <laughs> yes. so, so the play happens and we're, we're talking about the Luca and Russell Westbrook one later yes. or the other. Yeah, no, the play where they brought the ball up. Russ tried to hand. They were trying to run out the clock. Dennis passes it to Russ and then oh, they yeah. rush who, to who, foul Russ. Shoot. Yeah, and who was going to yeah. shoot the free throws? Because that took forever. How do you forever. not know who? No, like, no, no. You got called the foul. So you called all, the foul for that one. I had had to come. So this is when, like, I had had to come down waiting to do the walk off. So I was not on radio. I was standing next to the PR staff, and then like Rob Palinka was right over, and and so they don't have the. I have the broadcast in my ear though. At this point, I have the TV broadcast, so they're all asking me. Like, what are they saying? What does the replay look like? And I was like, well, it's going to be Russ that shoots, you know? And then six minutes later, it ends up being Russ that shoots, right? But what I was saying when I was on the air was when Russ bumped into Luca and, and I'm talking to John and I'm just like, all right, they're going to go review this. It's how about we just keep the fun basketball momentum going? I don't think that was a flagrant foul. It was unnecessary. Yes. But like Luca was fine. Luca didn't even fall over. 
and it ended up the basketball god said then he missed both free throws and they missed the shot which could have essentially yes. screwed the lakers in the game and the lakers got the ball back but all of that could have been essentially averted and instead we had however long that took that the refs had to go over because by the nature by the book or whatever you have to review it so i was i was um openly bitching about that for for a good three minutes I'm so glad that we've at least moved on from the reviewing every single out of bounds play in the last two minutes of a game that where the last part of a game takes 30 minutes, right? Yeah, the circle, you know, the that finger the circle worst. type of thing. The worst. And, and, but the NBA continues to be overly legalistic and in its and missing the point of like, yo, this is a good ass basketball game that you've now paused for six, seven minutes to review this thing where it's like it, there's so many possessions in a basketball game that I get in the last few seconds or whatever. But the the super long reviews like that are antithetical to game. like. Yeah, yeah, and against the spirit of the entertainment product too. Even aside from the like purity of basketball and all the stuff that we talk about, it's like people are watching this to have fun. There are people on the East Coast that are like, it's one in the morning right now, <laughs> and y'all are taking six minutes to review this play. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's like aggressive to your fans in a lot of ways. That's just not necessary. Mike, low level, very low level. So this is maybe the bottom rung of of the displeasure scale. But number 10 is, is kids brought home Halloween candy and it's all candy corn. That's number 10. Okay. So right. So number 11. So there's number 11 then is NBA referee calling a transition take foul on a play that is clearly not in transition. Transition is in the name, Mike. So the play <laughs> in which you're describing that Russ got called for the flagrant. They called that a take foul. When Luca is walking, he's walking the ball up the court. There's a guy in the backcourt, Powell, I think, was going to set a screen for him in order to free him up, right? Like, and literally and the opposite of a transition opportunity. <laughs> it was a it was a missed free throw. And no yeah. one was running. Everyone oh. was already up the court. Yeah. It was like, it was the defense coming off. was almost set. Yeah. It wasn't even a live ball. It was off of a missed free throw. Like, there is no such thing as there was no transition <laughs> in that play. And, and it's in the name. The referee went to the... He, he, well, Darius, he went yeah. on TV, Mike, and he said, we're review th this is being ruled a transition take foul and we're reviewing it for a flagrant and transition is right there in the name. <laughs> if, if he wouldn't have said transition right there in the name, I don't even think I'd be as mad, but he used it as the verbiage <laughs> to describe the play when it's not even that's not transition. Well, this is where the basketball gods agreed. And force Luca to miss yes. both free throws, ball, and then force Reggie line. Bullock to miss a wide open three. So mm -hmm. you know, so it that, all, it all which, worked proved, out. which proved us all right in that case. And then you know, so that's number eleven. That's number eleven is the misinterpretation of your own point of emphasis rule that is brand new that you're trying to do. It's like remember when the um, clear path foul like was first instituted. This was what maybe 15 years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. 
And like the very first season of that, it, I felt like it was chaos in terms of like how <laughs> often they had like they were trying to call it. And so th- like maybe this is growing pains with this, but like they're calling take fouls on so many plays that I don't really think are take fouls because it's actually not transition. Yeah. I, I uh, but I do mostly like the the take file though as Me an too. addition. Me and too. I think it, yeah, but you're right. When in in that case, I can't disagree. I only want to say one thing in defense of referees, and I've said I've told you guys this before. But I my first job was a soccer ref, um, and and I like I liked it, and especially I like center refing, and I liked the pressure, and I liked when people would try to yell, and I liked having a chance because I, I I like a little confrontation in that sense as long as it's a certain level of respect. These refs, especially last night when you got Luca on one end and you got LeBron on the other, <laughs> I mean, there is no call they can make yes. without getting yelled at by a really powerful, great player and the rest of their teammates. And I think that for some some refs handle that fine and like a Zach Zarba type and kind of like can roll with it and talk about in some refs. When you keep going at them all the time, it is it's just going to influence mm-hmm. calls. And and I think for the collective, not necessarily just Lakers or Mavs. And so I just whenever we think about the refs and we're ripping them, remember, you are getting screamed at by powerful people every no matter what you do, no matter how you make the call, you're going to get yelled at. And and they may even have a good point because it's hard. So I, I just like to sprinkle that in while also agreeing with the, the fact that the referee was the refereeing was poor. Um, I don't know if it helps the referees to, to just completely get thrown off guard by getting uh, yelled at as if as if they had you know created nuclear war or something. Yes, but that is called. part of the job. And you don't get yelled at if you, you know, know who the guy that you actually you, you know who like you actually called the foul on or the player that actually got. Fou- anyway, that was a mess of a game refereeing wise. I wish we would have won that freaking hell. Not, not for, no, You're no, not I've, persuaded I've, I've done that too. That's one of the things the from being a basketball okay. coach too is you referee a ton of your own games, right? And that's always an awkward position when you're the head coach, but it's also like kids in the heat of the moment that are like, what? That's not a foul, but you're also their coach. And anyway, I've, I've refereed my fair share. I definitely get where you're coming from. That game last night though was a hot mess. Anyway, we've gone long. My favorite story about that, about a head coach refing their own game is when Phil Jackson basically set up the whole like Michael ah, Jordan yes. punches <laughs> yes. Steve Kerr, right? Be- and and like how MJ was basically just like, Phil out here purposely calling bad calls and letting these guys get get away with it. And and just the buildup and the buildup and, and the buildup. I know that you love a good Phil story, Mike. And so Phil was the best at basically like manipulating everyone to get the outcome. Dude, Phil's a genius, man. He, he was. That, that's a whole separate thing. But I know, I know Pete went through some practices not calling fouls for his best player. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, and trying to piss him off. So it's a classic trope. There. We, we would uh, we would have actually specific games where it was told beforehand, like, you're going to have to really get creamed for a whistle to get blown. You're going to have to play through contact in this one. So anyway, we've gone super long. <laughs> we got to wrap it up. Uh, Lakers come back on Sunday. We will be back on Monday in between a back to back to discuss how it goes. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds.
NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.